0: Welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Shampali, News Director at APPA. Joining us today is Arshad Mansoor, EPRI's President and CEO. Arshad, thanks for joining us today. Paul, well, thank you very much for the invite. It's an honor and pleasure. Absolutely. Um, So, Arshad, um, you know, obviously, the Electric Power Research Institute is pretty well known um, in power industry circles. Um, But for some of our listeners who may not know all that much uh, about uh, EPRI, could you kind of give us an overview of EPRI's mission for those who may not be familiar with EPRI? Sure. Um, If you look at what
1: we do at EPRI, um, our focus is to advance science and technology for a clean energy future, but it has to be reliable, it has to be affordable, and it has to be safe. The work we do is for public benefit. And the public benefit is to make sure that society for the foreseeable future gets energy that's clean, reliable, affordable, and safe. So that's our mission. We do that by working together to shape the future of energy. Together means more than 350 electric and gas utilities worldwide, and Department of Energy, and national labs, and universities, and other researchers. So together, we pool our resources in order to address the science and technology opportunities that we have to achieve a clean, resilient energy future. So that's how we do our work. Next year will be our 50th year. Uh, we were actually created as an, uh, after the blackout in New York in the mid-60s. Um, And our creation was because the industry and the NARUC regulators, commissioners, came together that there is a need for public interest research on energy, and that's how EPRI was formed. And um, uh, we are now the largest global R&D collaboration organization focusing on uh, a future that is clean, that's reliable, that's affordable, and that's safe.
0: Great. Um, so now you officially took the reins as CEO of EPRI at the start of this year. So I'm uh, interested to hear your um, uh, your priorities for EPRI as president and CEO, um, and more specifically, what are your short-term and long-term goals for EPRI?
1: Well, the priorities, if you look at our uh, Mike Howard, who has been a CEO for a decade, uh, has left Teppree with a very, very good foundation. Uh, our priorities are our members' priorities. We listen, but then we lead. And it's clear as we look into this new decade, as we look into this next, uh, next 20, 30 years, that a key focus area will for us will be how do we achieve a net zero future, but reliably, affordably, and safely. But that cannot be the only strategic focus because We are now seeing it firsthand how important it is that energy system is resilient. And we cannot decarbonize and achieve a net zero future if we don't make the energy system much more resilient, not even at the level of resiliency that we have seen in the past, but in a totally different level. And if you look at decarbonization, Achieving a net zero future, making sure that the energy system is even more resilient in the future. Those two kind of underpins two of our strategic focus area. And there are many technologies that will play a role in doing both of those, net zero future, a resilient future. But we are also putting specific focus on digitalization. I think the digitalization of the energy system has happened, is happening. It will be much more pervasive. I think what we will see within the next decade is um, the digitalization enables us to have a clean and resilient energy future and do that by maintaining reliability and affordability for customers. So I would say those are the two key priorities near term. We just need to continue to do what the industry has done and support the technology advancement in battery, in renewables, making sure our nuclear plant stays online, ensure resiliency. But longer term, when we look at a net zero future and a more resilient net zero future in 2050, we're also teeing up some research areas that will will do this decade, but most likely the fruit of those research will help us in future decades. And one of them is what we call our low carbon resource initiative, which we launched uh, third
0: quarter of last year in the middle of the pandemic. That's that, yes, that's a perfect segue to my, my next question is that initiative involves um, several power power utilities. Um, so could you elaborate on the low carbon resources initiative um, and what are the benefits that are expected to flow from that? Um, Absolutely. And it's one of the most exciting initiatives
1: that the industry has undertaken. It's a five-year initiative. Let me just give you a brief background on why this initiative came about. Um, As part of our research on science and technology, we also do energy system modeling. And when we looked into the future and said, what is a pathway for us to get to a low to no carbon future, but do it reliably and affordably? There are several things that came out. You know, for example, first, make sure that the affordability uh, safety, reliability, cannot be, you know, we can sacrifice those. But it also came out was, you know, the batteries technology, wind, solar, we will see a lot more of that going forward. And our analysis shows maybe 4x, 5x times more. But we can't do that unless we reimagine the grid, reimagine the market. And we're already seeing in Texas right now, that um, a drive towards a clean energy future will lead us to rethink our market construct, our resource adequacy planning, and all those are near term imperatives for us. We also know electrification will play a huge role in this low to no carbon future. Uh, our analysis shows in the next 10 years, by 2030, six out of 10 new car, passenger car could be electric. And that has a very profound impact on cost of energy for consumers, because an average U.S. household that makes $45,000, family of four, has two cars. Their annual energy bill is $4,500, made up of gasoline, electricity, and natural gas. When EVs reach cost parity... And if they switch both their cars, they'll save $1,000 on their energy bill every year. Think about that as a $1,000 stimulus year after year. And they'll reduce their emission. So in the near term, it's clear what we got to do. We are going to make sure that the largest carbon-free source of energy nuclear stays online. We need to make sure we reimagine the grid to bring the amount of renewables that we see coming. We need to thoughtfully transition from coal, not just transition right away. And as we are doing that, and electrification happens, and let's say we're in 2030, what we found out was by 30 2030 or 2035, we may be able to reduce our economy-wide carbon emission by 50%. But what do you do with the other 50%? You really can't electrify everything. You can't electrify cement industry, steel industry, shipping, airlines. What do you do with all the combined cycle power plant that we have built and continue to build? And this led us to the conclusion that, you know, we need to look beyond electrification and we need to look at other clean energy resources that would help those hard to electrify sectors to reduce their emission that could give a pathway for these combined cycle fleet that we are building could actually run in this alternate fuel. And that was the genesis of low carbon resource initiative. One of these low-carbon resources that there's a lot of focus on worldwide is hydrogen. But it's not just hydrogen. It's hydrogen, liquid ammonia. It's biofuel. It's renewable gas. So we wanted to bring the industry together on a five-year moonshot. And we, uh, when we launched it last year, our initial estimate was we'll have a $100 million initiative with at least 50 utilities worldwide. And that will show the commitment that the industry is making not just to talk the talk on net zero but actually help develop the technology and uh, just today i heard we have now 36 members 107 million dollars that have been committed i fully expect this to grow by at least 2x amount this year and it's just amazing to see how the industry has responded to this challenge which is a very long-term challenge and public power has been in the forefront Of the 36 uh, participants in this five-year initiative, almost 10 are from public power, and many are APPA members. So the work has just started. In one line, if I have to describe LCRI, it is advance the science and technology to create clean molecules, energy carriers from clean electricity. And these energy carriers will help us to decarbonize the hard to electrify sectors could also possibly be used for running our gas turbines. Fifteen years from now, there is a possibility that these low carbon resources, in combination with natural gas, could at some time be a heating fuel. So that's what Lcri or Low Carbon Resource Initiative is. Paul.
0: Great. That's a that's a great overview. Appreciate that, Arshad. So. Um, Another public power specific question I want to run by you, Um, you we reported on this, uh, this news actually um, in our newsletter, Um, a team led by EPRI has been awarded a grant from the Department of Energy to support um, R&D related to hydrogen production from uh, fossil assets without carbon emissions. And one of the team members is Nebraska Public Power District. Um, So uh, Wanted to know if you could talk about how the the EPRI-led team will utilize the funds from the grant and what role uh, NPPD and the other team members will play.
1: Sure. And when I mentioned that we work together with National Labs and uh, Department of Energy and with our members, you know, uh, our partnership with Department of Energy and other federal entities and National Labs have been very strong. And that's where a lot of the early stage technology work is done. So this particular project is a very exciting project. The outcome of the project hopefully will lead to a much bigger project where we will be actually demonstrating the technology. This is a front-end engineering and design study for a way to take coal and biomass together and see how we can run a power plant with zero carbon emission, but also create hydrogen as a byproduct. So there's a gasification technology, there's a pre-combustion carbon capture and storage technology. So it's an idea of you take biomass, which could give you negative emission, you take coal or a fossil fuel, you gasify them, you go through a water shift reaction, you store the carbon, you capture the carbon and sequester it or use it For enhanced oil recovery, and you're also producing clean hydrogen, not hydrogen that we were producing today that has a carbon footprint of even more than natural gas. So what a front-end engineering and design study is, you bring in the host utility, which will be NPPD. They have a couple of plants where this could be piloted. They're close to locations where the carbon that would be captured, the CO2 could actually be used for enhanced oil recovery. And a front-end engineering and design study means you kind of take a look at the entire scheme and do the design analysis, feasibility analysis, cost analysis, so that if it is feasible, we take the next step, which is actually go through the pilot. So this gives a great opportunity to take two of the resources, biomass and coal, and see how we can produce clean electricity, but also we can produce clean hydrogen. So that's the focus of the initial study that has been, uh, you know, that's the grant from Department of Energy. And NPPD, they're the host utility. They and the manufacturers, technology providers are playing a huge role. Our engagement with NPPD and with all the APPA members are decades long. Uh, Some of them have been members of EPRI, ever since EPRI was created back in 1973.
0: Great, Um, now you talked, you touched upon um, electrification. Um, And so I guess, other than what you've already discussed, any any other highlights that you wanted to bring to our attention in terms of uh, EPRI's activities uh, in that area?
1: Well, I think to establish electrification, there are many organizations throughout the world who are looking at what is an optimum pathway to achieve a clean energy future. And some may differ on the resources. Uh, We like all resources. We like nuclear, we like wind and solar, we like batteries. We like natural gas and coal with carbon capture and sequestration. So when you look at all these resources, there's one thing where the global research community has come to the same conclusion. There is not a single study in the world that shows that in order to reach a low to no carbon future, society's use of electricity and dependence on, dependence on electricity will have to significantly ramp up. So, give you an example. Uh, let's use the US as the example. It took us 140 years from around 1880 to today, which is 2020, 2021 for electricity to be 20% of the energy that is used in our home and buildings and transportation. So it's 20%. In 1880, right before the Chicago World Fair and Chicago became the city of light, that was the dawn of electricity. So it took us 140 years for electricity to go from 0% of the energy used in 1880 to 20% of the energy used today. All the analysis, including EPRI's analysis, shows that for us to reach net zero by 2050, the share of electricity as the energy that we consume could be anywhere from 40, 50 to 60 percent. So zero to 20 in 140 years, and then 20 to 50 or 20 to 60 in only 30 years. That is a daunting opportunity and a challenge for the industry, and we have a comprehensive electrification program across mobility, heating and cooling, and new applications like indoor agriculture, where what we are doing is the same thing we all do. Advance the science and technology, look at early stage technologies, create projects, demonstration, pilot projects like we are doing with NPPD, and then move those technologies forward. Uh, just a, one example on what you may not even consider as electrification technology. But we have almost a dozen container farms that are producing lettuce, tomato, and other products in disadvantaged communities, partnering with the utility, partnering with local university. And the focus is electrification could reinvent agriculture. 90% less pesticide, 90% less water. You're making the lettuce right where you're having it. And having this container farm and the research projects situated in underserved communities also, is a, it's a compelling thing that we all have to think about, even researchers, that this clean energy transition has to be equitable. It has to be equitable to the average U.S. residential household. It has to be equitable for underserved communities. Many of our underserved communities are the location where you have the large power plants, whether it's a nuclear or a coal or a gas. That provides the tax basis. So if you're going to transition from coal to carbon capture or storage or other clean energy park, then we'll need to make sure that we are creating those brownfields at the next clean energy park. We should make sure that electrification opportunities, truck stop electrification, electrification of public transport. Are taking a high priority because at the day, just like in the 1930s when we did the Rural Electrification Act, electricity went to the masses. We now have an opportunity to, to use those infrastructure and double, quadruple the use of electricity in an efficient way. And that by any anybody's, and there is not a single study that shows that without that level of electrification, uh, we will not be able to reach even close to net zero. So it's a great research initiative for us. It continues, it's broad, it's deep, and it has wide, not just support, but application from
0: APPA members. Great. So um, uh, so for the the wrap-up question, I want to get your take on big picture. Um, and more specifically, wanted to get your thoughts on key challenges and opportunities that you see facing the power sector over the next 10 to 20 years. And then if you could talk about the role you see EPRI playing in terms of helping utilities successfully meeting those challenges and taking full advantage of the opportunities. Sure. Uh, great question. Great question. Um,
1: I see opportunity as researchers We see opportunity, the opportunity for society to get to a low to no carbon future affordably and reliably and electricity sector becomes the tip of the spear. The societal dependence on electricity significantly increases. Yes, we have technical hurdles that we will have to overcome. We'll, as an industry, have to figure out how batteries are just like transformers and wires. We need to be installing, our analysis shows, we need 30 gigawatt of 2 to 4 hour flexible resource by 2030 in order to accommodate the amount of wind and solar that we see we got to do the research to make sure that the largest source of energy carbon free energy nuclear stays online so those imperatives and there are several other imperatives that are driving some of the opportunities electrification is another one of them but let me address the one hurdle which is also an opportunity but the biggest barrier to achieving a net zero future are not the resources. We will figure out how to produce hydrogen cheaply. We will reimagine nuclear and next generation nuclear will be modular, flexible, economic and safe. But imagine you're in 2040 and societal dependence on electricity has increased. Instead of 20% of our energy that is used as electricity, 40%. Imagine a future where both the cars are electric. Also, what we are seeing in Texas this week and Oklahoma, the coal front, and what we have seen in past many years, it is clear the frequency and the severity of extreme events are increasing. While we will achieve net zero, but every year we're accumulating greenhouse gas in the atmosphere. And that is one of the contributors to what we are seeing in terms of polar vortex, in terms of heat wave, in terms of flood, in terms of wildfire. Now, as you know, the energy system, especially the electric sector, the design basis of the electric sector, weather plays a huge role. But the way we designed it was based on a weather that we saw 50 years ago. We now have to anticipate what the extreme weather would look like in 2040 because the system that we are building, refurbishing today is going to last way beyond 2040. So how do we significantly increase the resiliency of the grid? Who pays for those investments? What are the prudent investments? What are the technologies? Is it all on the generation transmission and distribution side or there may be customer resiliency technology? I think... In the quest for a low to no carbon future, reliably and affordably, the biggest opportunity is investment in resiliency. The biggest challenge is to figure out what level of resiliency the society would need from their electric grid for them to have two electric cars and for the society to be using 40, 50 percent of their end use energy as electricity. So I think that's one area we will be working with our members, we will be working with ABPA members. Uh, we'll have to fundamentally rethink the resiliency need for the system as we
0: continue to decarbonize the system. Great, Arshad. Well, thanks again so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And given everything that's going on um, at EPRI these days, um, we'd love to have you back as a guest uh, sometime um, this year. I'm sure we'll have plenty plenty of uh, additional topics to, to chew over. Um, so thanks again for your time today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity.